when we let it rain from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. We sometimes forget that the man who delivered the famous I Have a Dream speech in Washington, D.C. in March 1963 was the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. That's right, Reverend. King's legacy as a vocal Christian pastor whose religious beliefs animated his advocacy for political and economic equality can seem a bit curious against the backdrop of a political culture from which the concept of separation of church and state emerged. Indeed, before King's time, during his time, and well after his time, there's been a spirited debate around the question, should pastors be political? In this episode of Crown and Crozier, we look to tackle that question more deeply. Along the way, we tease out different answers, depending upon whether we define political as partisanship or as something related to the many issues associated with a life in common in the body politic. We also employ the rubric from the Catholic tradition, which identifies the principal functions of the pastoral office as teaching, sanctifying, and governing. Our guest is Dr. Ben Dunson, editor-in-chief of American Reformer and visiting professor of New Testament at Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Greenville, South Carolina. Dr. Dunson helped inspire this episode through his recently published article in the journal First Things, which was entitled, appropriately enough, Should Pastors Be Political? two swords. And the question is, which sword is superior, the spiritual sword or the temporal sword? And without God, democracy will not and cannot long endure. I die His Majesty's good servant at God's first. Dr. Ben Dunson, thanks very much for joining us on Crown and Crozier. It's my pleasure to be here. This conversation, it's part of a handful of episodes that we're doing in the lead up to the November midterm elections in the United States. And our approach has been one where we're not focusing exclusively or primarily on current events. We're more interested in stepping back and examining broader, more fundamental issues as it relates to living out our faith uh, in the practice of casting a ballot in an election. So when we came across your recent article in First Things, should pastors be political? Uh, we thought it would be a great fit with what we're trying to accomplish in this series. I will be the first to admit, when I read the headline of your article, my gut instinct was to respond, well, duh, that's a pretty easy, obvious question. No, we don't want them to get their hands into politics. But as I was reading further through the piece, I thought you were hitting on something really instructive. So perhaps we can start by just making sure we're clear on the terms of our discussion. So when you say political, what's your definition? What I mainly had in mind was explicit kind of vocational political action that they would be devoting their, their energy to things like political campaigning or, or, or things of the sort. Uh, I really had in mind just the importance of uh, distinguishing between the vocation of someone who is 
called to, to serve in, in politics or government and then the, the vocation of a pastor. Um, so, so I was thinking in terms of the ways in which someone could, could perhaps as a pastor really be diverted from their, their primary calling in, in the church. When we say the word political or hear the word political, our minds can turn to the pejorative definition, well, which is kind of the, the messiness and nastiness of life in the political arena and the determination of who gets what, when, where, by what authority. But stepping back, I mean, taking more of a dispassionate or objective, neutral approach to the word, political implies our life in common, in, in the body politic, as, as members of the polis. And in that respect... Pastors, like anyone else, have have rights and responsibilities. So assuming that that's part of your your approach to the term and, and to the discourse as well, right? Right. Yeah, no, I would I would agree with that. I think that's a, a great uh, definition. Yeah. And you're right. People do tend to to think of politics as a as a dirty word. You know, it's just the, synonymous with scheming and uh, and all the, the worst aspects of of our governments and, and things like that. But I, I thought that was a great uh, definition. And so just to get our other term of discussion and debate in, in place, when you say pastor, a couple of things. One, are you contemplating the frontline folks uh, doing the mission? Or would you also include some of the folks higher up the chain, the, the episcopacy, for example? Right. So I had in mind primarily the, the frontline uh, pastors you know, with different forms of, of church government, you, you're going to have, I could see why you'd have um, people that might end up getting more involved uh, because of their specific responsibilities. Of course, that's going to that's gonna really be different for, I think, those who have an Episcopal form, you know, of church government and those who don't. Uh, you're, you're really going to, to see differences there. You know, I'm less familiar with maybe what would be the, the responsibilities in, say, like the Catholic hierarchy. Mm-hmm. It seems like you, you do have more, more involvement in certain ways, addressing political issues and things like that. And if I may, if I could, for purposes of this discussion, maybe invoke a bit of a rubric from the Catholic tradition. I think it's portable to other denominations within the Christian family as well. We often think of the primary functions of the office of the priest or the office of the pastor as teaching, sanctifying, and governing I think that's something that can be transferable across many Christian denominations. And I think that would be instructive for our conversation here, because I think one really interesting thing that your article brought to light was, depending on what we mean by political or how we apply that definition, some of those functions uh, might have a, a more comfortable or a more natural association with life or with matters of the body, body politic as opposed to others, so perhaps maybe we can we can apply that rubric as as we go through. When it comes to the main thesis of your article, again, should pastors be political? You answer or you tackle the question or, or the response to the question in both the affirmative and the negative. So why don't we start with the affirmative? You know, what are the reasons? What are the basis uh, for which a pastor may be political in some of his functions or activities? I really had two two parts to that positive side. Uh, one was just simply the fact that the Bible does address the state as such. That that's going to be an inevitable aspect of of the pastor's teaching and preaching is is they have to 
shepherd their people and, and their flock to, to think rightly about the state. And so in that sense, they're going to be addressing politics, certainly. You know, that's not going to be necessarily political participation on their part for that, but they still need to prepare their people to think rightly about that. And if it is, which I think it is, legitimate to serve as a Christian in, in the state, in the government, and to try to do good in that realm, then they're going to be preparing them for, for that work. Uh, secondly, there are so many issues today that we might wish weren't political. People often lament everything being political now, and you kind of wish we could go back to a time where most of life wasn't political in the sense that we could just live our lives, take care of our families, take care of our, our communities, our churches, and, and, and not have to worry about the state kind of encroaching on everything. But those days seem to be gone, and things that we wouldn't even think of as political in the past are today. So sexuality, and you just really can't avoid that. Pastors are going to have to prepare their people for political action that's taken about transgenderism and uh, homosexuality and, and uh, you know, so-called gay marriage and things like that. Um, also with issues like abortion, you know, that's inherently political. And so there's no way for them to avoid getting into those kinds of issues. Um, so th those were kind of the two main things I was, I was saying as far as pastors having to address politics, certainly. They just they can't be apolitical and just take a step away from that. And a lot of people wish that pastors would be apolitical in that sense, I think. Just don't address it. I, I've heard this pretty frequently, that you shouldn't know where your pastor falls down on the political spectrum. You shouldn't be able to tell. It should be a mystery to you. I think with all of these different issues, that's just not possible. You know, maybe that was possible in some ways decades and decades ago, but it, it just doesn't seem possible today. When you hear those types of observations or that type of feedback, what's your sense of the motivation on the part of folks who hold that view or, or just the, the, the impetus for that type of perspective? You know, for a lot of them, honestly, I think it's just that they don't like seeing people fight. Mm. Um, they don't like seeing division within the church. And we're seeing more and more very um, strident division. We're seeing a lot of anger and, and a lot of uh, people who are even getting to the point where they don't feel like they can speak to other people uh, across the political divide. And so I think some people, well-meaning, they see that and they, they wish that wasn't the case and they, they would like to help and they, they would like to try to heal that division. And, and that's their way of doing it is just say, you don't address those things. You, you stay out of that. And then somehow that's going to help the people. They'll see that and they too will try to. And this is actually where I think it becomes even more problematic is it's kind of a subtext to that is the people themselves in the churches should follow their example and be apolitical as well. But on all of these issues, that's just not going to be possible listening to your remarks and reflecting on the observations in your article, it gets me thinking of that passage in scripture where Christ talks about his incarnation and his reality being inherently divisive in effect. He came and his coming will inherently lead to divisions among family members and among friends. And there's a sense of inevitability about that in terms of what the incarnation of, of Christ means 
in our lives. And and to your point, uh, for folks who would just kind of prefer, who hope for 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 unity or, or unity in the name of a false peace, where we just don't talk about these things and we, and we set them aside. And in some ways, it does kind of seem counter to that that echo of Christ's message around. Well, him coming into this world inherently divides people in terms of whether they follow him or not and follow his his teachings or not. I wonder as well, I mean, kind of the two arguments that you lay out around the inevitability of pastors and their functions and activities having some collision or encounter with, with political matters. It, it seems to me that uh, they kind of align with those first two parts in the rubric that, that we laid out around teaching and sanctifying. It's the function of the office of the pastor to teach their flock, to sanctify them, and also to enable them to sanctify the outside world. Any thoughts or in that regard? I think that's Im- important uh, because we don't. Well, I mean, so I guess you know, some Christians do really struggle with with that aspect of being outwardly directed, and they think that Christianity doesn't have anything to do with with the, the world outside. I don't agree with that. You know, I, th- I think there are dangers when we, um, when we focus on maybe trying to reform the world, but the basic idea that Christianity has something to say about government, right? It has something to say about good government and, and just how we organize uh, people and how we bring them together and how we allow them to live together in harmony. You know, it has a lot to say about that. And it has a lot to say that's really good for the world, that's good for people, uh, if, we, if we could implement it. Uh, even though a lot of people don't like that, they, don't, they, they get nervous about that, I do, I do think it's very important. And I, I like how in your, in your piece you kind of refer back to the, the basic consideration and the basic premise of, well, what does sacred scripture tell us? And in the New Testament, our Lord tells us directly, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. I think perhaps, particularly for... For Christians who might get uncomfortable, and understandably so, at the conflict that can surround political discourse and political debates, it seems to me that we have to bear in mind that original admonition from, from Christ himself, render unto Caesar those things that are Caesar's. There are, there are things that are, are, are natural to the, to the secular state and to the secular space. There's a responsibility on our part, again, to sanctify and, and to engage I was also thinking of, well, I mean, some, some other passages from Scripture that have always stood out to me in this respect, a line from the first letter of Peter where he talks about honoring the king and his ordinances. And, and I think you speak to some, some lines from St. Paul as well. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. In, in Romans 13, uh, in particular, just the, the responsibilities of, of the, uh, the civil magistrate and the responsibilities to do good in the world, you know, to, to punish evil and to to praise what is good and uh, how, how vital that is for Christians thinking about the political realm. It shows you that politics is not necessarily evil. It's not this, this um, well, people call it that. They say it's a necessary evil. And I, I don't think that's a, a good way to talk. It's not necessarily evil and it's not a necessary evil. It's actually a, a good thing. It's a divine institution as well. Mm-hmm. Although it's a very different institution than the church, you know, and, and they, they do need to be kept separate in a certain way, not in the, the way that Thomas Jefferson would argue, just this radical separation. Mm-hmm. But um, they, they have different realms of authority. They have different responsibilities. But the, the state is 
ordained by God, the, the agents of the state are specifically called ministers of God in, in Romans 13 mm. um, to, to do good for the world. And, and so there's, there's no way for the Christian to, to just completely disengage from that and, and kind of wash their hands of that. And, well, there is. I mean, if they do, they, they can and they often do. And then what happens is people who have very dangerous uh, moral systems fill the vacuum, and that's very bad for the world, and that's very bad for the church as well. It's bad for Christians. Uh, it's bad for everyone. So it's not. It's not as if somehow just ap- you know taking yourself o- away from that is going to do any good for anyone. After reading your piece, I was reflecting on you know what does the early tradition of, of the ancient church have to teach us, and my mind turned to Saint Augustine. Who's a who's a very popular, very attractive figure to Protestants and Catholics across the whole Christian family, uh, and I was reminded of the correspondence he undertook with magistrates of his time in the fifth century. A lot of which involved inviting them to exercise clemency as it related to the death penalty, and very much encouraging magistrates and people in authority not to put people to death, not to exercise the levers and the apparatus of the state in the name of, of taking life. Uh, and he just didn't do that once. I mean, he did that repeatedly, habitually. And, and I think that's, that's kind of an excellent example from the tradition of the ancient church around pastors fulfilling that teaching role as it relates to magistrates, as it relates to civil authorities who may or may not have been members of their flock, but for whom the pastors still felt a desire and inclination to teach and to instruct uh, as it related to the the dignity of life, and th- and that's um, that's a, a good example of not overstepping their specific calling too. In that they're they're calling them to to act justly. They're not presuming to be the magistrate mm-hmm. themselves. And I think there, there's just a, there's a lot of examples of that throughout history. Let's turn attention to kind of the the other side of the coin uh, in your article. Where the answer to the question, should pastors be political, is more negative. Perhaps elaborate a little bit more on that if you could. Yeah, so this, this is, a, I think, what really motivated me to write the article is I had seen, I had seen some, uh, some people who were making comments along this line. They, they would say, I'm a pastor, I'm not a politician. Mm. And they would they would say, you know, my vocation is is to pastor the, the people, to shepherd them, to take care of their spiritual needs, and fighting the culture war and all these things. That's not my responsibility. That's just not what God has called me to do. But there seemed to be a, a subtext to what they were saying, which was a, a kind of denigration of politics itself. And I think even more than that, which was um, which was subtly saying that even Christians themselves who aren't in ministry, who aren't pastors, should should kind of see that, that their their own relationship to politics in the same way, and that they should back away, that they shouldn't they shouldn't be investing in that. Uh, they, you know, it wasn't always stated explicitly, but it's one of those things you just kind of you kind of pick up on this. Where you're seeing that this over and over and over, you know, this isn't my vocation as a pastor, but it was kind of a, a denigration of that whole realm. 
And so that, that's what prompted me to write the article, was thinking that that's, that's just not right, especially if it's discouraging Christians from either serving politically or even just being politically active. And again, I think it's that, it's that temptation to, to say things are so bad right now, they're so hostile, and you know, a lot of people are just afraid that it's, it's going to lead to, to violence and, and to, you know, you hear more and more people talking about civil war and all these things. And so they're afraid of that and they want to get people to distance themselves from that. And so I, I just kept seeing that over and over and over. And I thought that's not a, the, the right way to approach this. In fact, we, we should be encouraging Christians to be active and to be involved, not seeding that ground to people who are only going to, I mean, on, frankly, to do evil um, in, in a lot of ways. Um, and I'm not saying that everyone on the, the other side of you know, the political spectrum is evil, but there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of um, just almost insanely evil things that 10 years ago would have been unfathomable happening all around us. It's easy to maybe pick out the the extreme examples like the 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 drag queen um, expose. I mean, children are being exposed to great evil uh, in, in these things, uh, sexually um, exposed, and um, you know, th- these are things that I mean, frankly, if you look up the criminal statutes, I live in Texas. The criminal code, it's pretty clear to me, says right now these things are are illegal. People just don't have the nerve to to enforce them. So you see all of that around you and think, if we just seed the ground, uh, then we're going to have more of that. And there's no limit to that because there's no moral system in place that can stop it. It's just anything goes. Tolerance of all things must be accepted. And so there's no, there's no limit if you head in that direction. Is it what we really want is to, to find peace? Do we say that that's, that's the necessary price for peace? is that we explicitly or subtly encourage Christians to not get involved. So, so that, was, that was behind my desire to write that because I, I think it, it is absolutely right that there is one sense in which pastors shouldn't be political. So I, I, kind of, I agreed with the, the sentiment in one sense in that the vocation of a pastor is not to be a politician, and the vocation of a pastor is not to devote his energy primarily to to political action if he did that then his people would suffer mm-hmm. spiritually you know his job is to preach the gospel and to to form people spiritually and that's what they need more than anything we as much as we say that politics matters and that it's a it's a good that god has created for the well-being of the world it's still one of those things that's not eternal and that will will pass away. Whereas, you know, we, we've got the souls of the, the people in the church that are eternal, that, and, and that matters more than anything else. And so for a pastor to, to divert their energy away from that would be dangerous for, for the people themselves. So I wanted to emphasize that and agree in that one sense that pastors should not be political, but address what I saw as the kind of subtext underneath that, which is, no one should be political, and pastors should absolutely separate themselves from anything that could even sound political. Yeah, and if you don't mind, I'm, I'm kind of going to go back to that rubric of 
the functions of the pastor as teach, sanctify, and govern does kind of seem like your article on the teaching and the sanctifying piece says, yes, there is a place because our life in the body politic requires informed, sanctified citizens. And that's where the pastor can discharge his functions appropriately and in response, in alignment and harmony with his vocation. But when it comes to governing, the flock are are the proper purview of the pastor, not the institutions or the, or the apparatus of the state. So I, I think there's kind of a, a good alignment in, in that rubric. If I may, uh, just to kind of to kind of take all that and put it to some to some real life examples and kind of juxtapose it with some real life examples. I'd, I'd be interested to hear your thought because I, I read your piece and, and it got me thinking, it seems in some ways, not just the believers, but perhaps even some of the agnostics or the unbelievers uh, in our culture and our society, there is an acceptance or there's a tolerance as it relates to quote unquote political behavior or activity on the part of pastors in a teaching or sanctifying type of way. I'm just curious to, to hear your thoughts on, on what we make of that. So some specific examples I'll, I'll trot out. I mean, the immediate one that comes to mind is the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. And among other things, uh, down in the States, there's a national holiday celebrating that man's legacy and accomplishments. We don't seem to, we being kind of a larger society or culture, we, we, we don't seem to nitpick the engagement in politics and the political activism on the part of Reverend Martin Luther King because it was so clearly on the side of, of justice and, and, a, and of a just cause. So may, maybe just taking that one example, do you, do you find that the example and the legacy of Reverend Martin Luther King is, is a good piece of ammunition to the thesis in your article? And yeah, So my, my own impression of his work is that the, the pastoral side of things was not really prominent. He was devoted to to the cause more than anything else. And so in, in some ways he would be doing what I'm saying pastors should not do. Now, that said, if, if he wasn't a pastor or if he wasn't uh, at least operating as if that was his primary calling and he was just simply doing all of the work he had done, uh, then that would be very different. Right? You know, that, that, that work and the cause itself is one thing. If you saw yourself as as primarily called to be a pastor, and then you spent all of your time doing um, all of this, you know, social justice work, then I, I'd see a hard time how you could actually attend to your primary calling as a pastor. Right. How could you actually attend to the the pressing spiritual needs of your church? You know, to 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 teach them, to preach them, to watch over their souls, to help them in their daily struggles in, in the spiritual realm. I'm, I'm not really sure how you could do that at the same time. Now, I, I don't know that he ever really claimed to do that either. So my, my history is a little hazy on, on whether or not he really attempted to continue in an explicitly pastoral role during that time. He carried the title with him, but not necessarily the responsibility of, of pastor. He, he wasn't really operating as a, a normal pastor anymore. And, and it's interesting, some of the, the examples that came after him, I'm not sure if it's fair to call this kind of a distinctly American phenomenon, but uh, certainly we have, we have less of it uh, in the Canadian experience, although I can point to some examples. After Martin Luther King Jr., you, you know, you had figures like the Reverend Al Sharpton, the Reverend, the Reverend Jesse Jackson. Again, Individuals who carry this title of reverend, who who at one point certainly carried and shouldered pastoral responsibilities, 
but getting very actively involved in the public square. And some other examples that I'll, that I'll point to, again, from the, the American experience that I've observed, the practice at the, the conventions for the two major parties and the presidential campaigns, uh, very common for a pastor of some Christian denomination, um, occasionally might have a rabbi or someone else from another organized uh, religion, offering prayers, whether at the beginning or the closing of the, the ceremonies for the, the political convention. Another thing I was thinking of in, in advance of, of this interview was when Pope Francis came to Washington, D.C. in 2015, he made the rounds as, as one does or as the Pope does when he's making an official visit. You know, there was the address to the joint session of Congress and the like. But there was there was one moment in particular. I remember him giving a speech on the, the South Lawn of the White House. And that was at a time when the Obama administration was very active in pursuing their environmental agenda. So there were, in particular, many regulations coming out of the, the Environmental Protection Agency. And the Pope, in his remarks, specifically mentioned the Clean Power Plan, which was a particular regulatory instrument aimed at lowering greenhouse gases from the electric power sector. And, and I think of instances like that, and e even folks like Al Sharpton, who've thrown their hat in the ring for, for president, there seems to be something of a tolerance or an acceptance for those types of events or approaches. It seems in some ways there is kind of a tolerance or general, a general tolerance or acceptance on the part of American society for that out of this recognition that it's, it's largely about teaching, but then on other issues, there's less of a tolerance. I mean, you've kind of alluded to some of them already. And I think a lot of it relates to the, the issues in, in politics that touch on, on sexual ethics it seems like there's a disconnect when it comes to the general population's acceptance of Christian pastors discharging their teaching function on some issues, in some ways, in some contexts, but not others. The kinds of issues that get addressed from, from the pulpit are, are going to be key. I mean, for me, the, the very way in which I, I feel uncomfortable when pastors start getting political is when they're really hyper-specific about things that Christians actually can legitimately degree, uh, disagree on. And um, so, I mean, the environmental example actually would fall into that category for me. There are legitimate disagreements um, that a Christian, could, a reasonable Christian could have about environmental policy. Um, now, I know some people would not agree with that, but I, I certainly think that's the case. And, and there's going to be a lot of other issues like that. So if we talk about things like tax rates, you know, should the, the tax rate, uh, corporate tax rate be 35% or 25%? Well, there, there might be some instances where it just is obviously rapacious, where you know the government is, is requiring 90% or, or something like that, and, and that would just be obviously wrong. But if, if we're, we're quibbling over basic normal tax rates in a, in a Western nation, Christians can le legitimately disagree on those things. And, and there's no reason to divide over those things. But, but Christians can't legitimately disagree about abortion. And they can't legitimately disagree about genital mutilation of minors and um, sexual exposure of minors and things like that. that. Those are issues that are political right now, because either laws are being made about them or are attempting to be passed about these issues and uh, and it's it's contentious in in the political sphere there's no way to there's no way to just agree to disagree on those kinds of issues so i would make a distinction based on what the issue is 
there's there's no way for the pastor to just simply be neutral on that. Um, I think you, you you brought up you know whether the the pastor is is going to address those things or not uh, from the pulpit or, or address uh, similar kinds of issues. There's just there's no way around it uh, for certain things. The the other examples of of reverends who you know, are are more political operators. Uh, I, I would probably just say the same thing about Martin Luther King Jr. is that their real vocation is political activism, and from my vantage point, they should they should just call themselves political activists. You know, it's a legitimate thing, right? That, that's not an illegitimate thing to be a political activist. It's just that there's no possible way for them to actually fulfill any sort of pastoral vocation when they're when, when they're doing that. Just kind of sticking with your assessment of the Al Sharptons, the Jesse Jacksons. If you have someone who's, who's been ordained pastor or who's fulfilling the, the office of pastor, if they throw their hat in the ring to govern in a secular sense, then that seems like a, a serious conflict with your, your governing responsibility as a pastor. Yeah, that seems right to me too. Uh, and, and that was, that was a, a large part of what I was trying to say is the state and the church are two institutions uh, created by God. Uh, they're both good. One is uh, for the eternal well-being of souls. One is for the temporal well-being of people. And, that, and that's not to say that the state is is to be uh, or even can be neutral with regard to the, the spiritual well-being of, of people. But that's not its primary focus. And that's a, that's a good thing to have those two different realms operating the way God intended. We get into all sorts of problems when someone tries to step out of their proper uh, realm into, into the, the other. I mean, it could go the other way, too. The state, mm-hmm. and the state has done this, of course, and has meddled in the affairs of the church and, um, and attempted to, uh, to dictate uh, what the church can and can't do. And, and that is, from a whole different vantage point, that's, that's a very serious problem as well. I do want to turn attention to the November midterm elections and one of the issues that is catapulting to the top of political discourse in the wake of the Supreme Court's decision overturning uh, Roe versus Wade. Abortion is very much part of the political discourse in the United States leading up to November 8th. Among these supporters of abortion, you, you are already are hearing, and we, have, we I mean, we've heard this for years, but especially now in the supercharged environment post Dobbs decision, you hear the the accusations of, of theocracy or the, the the fears and the paranoia about a forthcoming theocracy. Again, with a lot of that uh, leveled towards Christian voices, some of them ordained, uh, some Christian pastors speaking up against the evil of abortion. And I think what's been helpful here in this conversation is to really remind ourselves that, no, if we will acknowledge that pastors are getting involved politically, uh, I'm putting politically in quotation marks, getting involved politically by speaking up on the issue of abortion, that's in keeping with their proper office and responsibilities to teach and to sanctify. It's not like they're overstepping into governance in the secular world. This is about teaching the faithful and sanctifying the faithful as it relates to this particular issue. With abortion such a hot topic these days, what's your hope for pastors in the United States uh, and how this issue is going to be handled and, and addressed uh, at the pulpit? 
yeah, I hope that they won't be afraid to address it um, and to uh, to address it forthrightly and and boldly and and be clear on this. I mean, if if opposing murder is theocracy, then I, I guess we're just going to have to accept that we're theocrats. Um, you know, I mean, joking, but like we can't we can't let the epithets that are thrown at us cause us to shrink back. And there's going to be plenty more of that. Uh, we can see that abortion is is one of those things that brings out a real fanaticism in its supporters to, to the point of, um, I mean, it really kind of is frightening sometimes. And um, th- there's a lot of people that are, that are willing to go to very extreme lengths to make sure that there's still access to abortion. Pastors are going to have to address that and you know we there's just no way around it in america you've got two political parties that have any chance of electoral success and this is i think this is really where where well-meaning people they really don't like to say things like this they don't they don't like to say they want to say you can be a christian and you can be a republican you can be a christian and you can be a democrat but on this issue one party in its official platform is opposed to abortion. One party in its official platform celebrates abortion. And there's, there's just no way around that, that fundamental reality. How you can support someone who, who supports that is beyond me. And I know some will try to say, well, that's not the only issue. There are other issues that, that matter too. But what are they, uh, e- even if they're important, even if, even if every other thing about the environment or about helping the poor and the needy and all these things, even if all of that's true, how much higher of a level is, is protecting innocent life? Um, so it's going to make people uncomfortable to say what I think is true, that you just you cannot any longer support a party that supports that kind of evil. And it's not just that, it's it's trans transgender extremism and many other things to where we're not living in the America of the nineteen fifties, where the two parties had differences and, and Christians could look at them and say, well, you know, a, a reasonable Christian could disagree on some of these things. Um, I just I think we're beyond that point, and I think pastors are going to have to become more comfortable with that reality. I think if they don't, and if if Christians and I guess you could say fellow travelers with Christians who at least are still troubled by some of these cultural trends, if they don't say enough is enough, then it's gonna it's gonna be very very bad, very dangerous, uh, very dire situation. Yeah, and it's an extremely problematic and challenging scenario for our pastors. I mean, circling back to the beginning of our conversation where we kind of set the terms for the discussion, defining political and acknowledging that there's a definition of that word that is it's neutral, it's dispassionate, it's, it's related to our, our common life in the body politic. It's challenging because in, in the current context, there's a risk of other people defining political as partisan because you do have one of the major parties whose political platform, again, using that term objectively, their, the, their political platform is advocating action that is counter to the dignity and sanctity of, of human life. 
And so when pastors are, are speaking up, when they're exercising their teaching office on this specific political issue, there's that real risk of a, of a political being seen as partisan. For this election cycle, particularly on the heels of the Dobbs decision, it seems like that is a very real part of the, the landscape, which not to say it's unprecedented or entirely novel, but it, it, is, it is amplified to a degree that arguably has not been there before. And, and it seems like the challenge for our pastors is, is to push back against opponents and misinformed citizens equating political in, in this instance with partisan. Yeah, and you've got, you've got among Democrats in America, you've got um, people who are, I mean, it's not like they're neutral about these things. They're, they're pushing just as hard on their side, but they've convinced a lot of people that, that they are that they're neutral, that, you know, and certainly they, 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 can, they can persuade people that they're not coming at this from a religious perspective, right? Because if we do that, then that's illegitimate. Well, they're not doing that. So by definition, what they're saying is, is legitimate because it's just, uh, it's just dealing with uh, worldly reality and, and never bringing religion into the picture. And yet, interestingly, you, you have routinely you have Democratic politicians speaking in, in churches advocating for, the, for, for policies and they have no problem with that. They don't see that as being theocracy um, or, or anything of the sort. But that's that's because they say we're not we're not actually advocating anything religious. You know, we're just um, advocating policies with regard to abortion. But they're 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 stacking the deck in their favor. They're they're defining the terms of of the discourse in such a way that that they can argue for their positions without shame and 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 they can say that your position is illegitimate by definition because you think it's wrong to to abort a, a child but you do that because god says so mm -hmm. just your last remark there made me think going back to that phrase the, the distinctly american phenomenon of candidates speaking from the pulpit during election cycles and election campaigns, I, I will admit, I've, I've never understood that. I, it's, it's hard to fathom that it's just something that does not happen in a, in a Canadian context, and, and I'm sure in many other parliamentary democracies. It's this very odd juxtaposition with uh, the pride and the emphasis that many people put on the separation of church and state, but those same folks don't seem to bat an eye at certain candidates talking behind the pulpit at, at churches during election campaigns. But applying that practice to the post-Dobbs landscape leading up to the November 8th elections, again, just the, the specter that we are set to face over the coming weeks of certain political candidates, I think it's fair to say largely on the Democratic side, speaking behind the pulpit in churches in favor of abortion, that speaks volumes, I think, about where our political culture and, and where our society is at. And it does kind of go back to this fundamental question that we've been tackling of should pastors be political? And it seems at a minimum, a legitimate political act that they can undertake in this election cycle is to prevent that from happening, is, is to yeah. minimize, if not eliminate the instances of pro-choice candidates speaking at churches in favor of, of their political agenda. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, as an American, I still find that um, troubling as well. Um, I mean, not just, honestly, not just candidates speaking on issues of the left. Uh, just having a politician 
um, step into that role where that that's that's not I don't see it as being legitimate to, to step behind the pulpit um, in, a, in a church service and and to start speaking electoral politics um, that that is I mean that's kind of one of the things I was trying to address it that's not that's not the role of that that's blurring the two realms in a way that's not right uh, even if it was my my favorite candidate doing it um, on the issues that that matter to me but certainly certainly for something evil um, it also goes to show you just the trouble that the churches are facing that that a church could even see that as being acceptable itself tells you something about the church itself yeah how much uh just in, in that scenario how much is being inverted and subverted kind of riffing on the the theme of your article uh should politicians be pastoral because uh, that's that's essentially the role that they're assuming when when they step behind the pulpit well dr dunson uh, we're going to leave it there thank you so much for a very fruitful very enlightening conversation we always should be doing this, but particularly in this election cycle, let's pray for our pastors, pray for our political leaders, uh, and pray that they have the, the wisdom to discern their proper vocations and uh, their proper responsibilities within those offices. Uh, thanks for spending time with us today. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. And help us to reach more listeners by leaving us a rating or referring us to a friend. If you'd like to partner with us in the delivery of this podcast, head on over to our website at crownandcrozier.com and click the heart button in the top right-hand corner to learn more about making a one-time or monthly donation. We're sincerely grateful for you listening in, and we look forward to providing you with future episodes on church, state, and faithful citizenship. Until then, God bless.